You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our lead pastor, Rick Hand, with this week's message. Okay, so let me be open with you and honest with you here this morning, okay? This may sound a little self-centered for me to start right here, but but uh, hopefully it won't when you realize where I'm going with it. But I'm having a mid-ministry crisis. <laughs> Y'all know what a midlife crisis is? You know, the guy driving, you know, the new sports car, that kind of stuff. You know, I, I used to think when I was a kid, I thought, okay, so how do you know when to have your midlife crisis? Because I don't know if I'm going to live to be 80, so I need to have it at 40, you know, or if I'm going to live, you know. How do you know when to have this? I mean, how do we schedule this thing? Well, you, you know, that's not really what it means, right? It just means a point in your life where things begin to change in such a way that you're, you just have a crisis because, you know, empty nester kind of a thing, changing career, losing a job, all that kind of stuff. You, you know, your health declines, all of a sudden you have something like that, and you have a midlife crisis. I'm having a mid-ministry crisis, and you may share with you what that is. Let me just, let me explain it to you right here, okay? My mid-ministry crisis is this. Go ahead, thank you. Bring it up for me now, Kevin, if you will. I am struggling to know how to pastor in a culture that no longer needs God. And I, you know, I, I was kind of joking a little bit there, but I'm telling you, I am, I'm struggling with this because, I mean, I grew up, I grew up in the Bible Belt. I, now, I, we've done some ministry out of state. You know, we've been in Chicago, and that's different, okay? We, we've been in Wisconsin. That, that's different. So we, we've been there. But I grew up in this, and and. and you know, it, it used to be, uh, I mean, some of you, uh, we have some other ministers in the house, and some of you have been in this for a while, you know, that used to say, well, God says, and that mattered. And it doesn't matter anymore, not to a lot of people. And I'm struggling with trying, because, because you know, here's the thing, I, 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 we just don't need God. We just don't need him anymore. Now, uh, <laughs> before y'all think your pastor's backslid, you know, up here and saying, we don't need God. I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying we don't in our heart know anymore that we need God. I mean, let me explain to you what I mean. We don't need God. Our culture doesn't need God in our finances anymore. I mean, look around you. We are so stinking rich. We got, every, we got everything we need and some. I mean, we're not scraping by. I mean, all the, the, the possessions we have, the money, the cash that we have, that we walk around with in our bank accounts and those kinds of things, that, and, and uh, the toys, man, the toys. You know, the toys that you and I have, you know, and, you know, it used to be we were worried about making that car payment. We were worried about making that, well, well I won't list all those things that you're making payments on because uh, I'll, I'll leave somebody out and they won't think I'm preaching to them. But, but you know, we've got all those toys, right? And, uh, and in the government, man, they've been pitching in money for the past three years. I mean, you know, it's, it's just made everything so easy, you know. It's like even people who are struggling, people sitting here right now who are struggling financially, you got a smartphone in your pocket. You, you've got a video game console at home. You know, all those things that we've got. I, I mean, go back. Okay, let me, let me just call myself an old man. Go back to when I, I'm, I'm, I was young. Or go back before my generation. And anyone that would walk around with a computer in their pocket you know, could not be called poor or financially struggling. I mean, we're, we're just not anymore. And so we, we find ways to get by. You know, we just don't need God financially anymore. Or, you know what else? We, we don't need God concerning right and wrong. We don't. <laughs> We've already got it figured out, right? 
I mean, what, what we know now is, is, you know, our ideals of justice and fairness are so much better than God's. I mean, think about it. Every time you say, well, you know, I think the, I think the Bible is just a little hard right here. You're saying that your ideal of fairness and justice is higher than God's. When you say that, it's like, I just don't. But here, you know, and here's the thing is, is, is we're making these uh, uh, determinations in our heart and in our mind, and we don't know the whole story. And now it looks like all of us adults, all, all of us parents, that we ought to be able to figure that one out. You know, because, I mean, sometimes I, I listen to us and how we, we say, well, God isn't fair, God isn't just, and why would he say this? And, and I, think about, I think about an eight-year-old kid, you know, who's mad at his dad because he won't let him have ice cream before he has dinner. You know, his dad knows things that he doesn't know, right? You know, and, and that's the way we are with God sometimes. And so we make these determinations. And, and here's, the, here's the real problem with it is that once we made up in our own heart, in our mind, what right is and justice is and fairness is, then we don't listen to anybody else. Nobody can convince me. We don't, we're not even going to have the discussion. We're not even going to listen to what God says in his word. So we're a culture that no longer even needs God because we've got it all figured out. We're a culture that no longer needs God to answer prayer. Do we? <laughs> Do we need God to answer prayer? Now, um, before I get too hard on everybody outside this building, let me, let, me, let me just sit right here for a minute with us. You got struggles in your life? You got problems? You got things? You have something that, man, it would be awesome if God just showed up and just took care of it. But how much prayer have we put into that situation? I mean, at the end of the service, we're going to have prayer team members on each side of this, this stage that are ready to pray with you. And you've got problems, you're going to get up and we're going to walk out the door and not come down and listen. I mean, how much do we really believe in prayer? You know, uh, we, we just, we just uh, left the month of August, and we had Tuesday night prayer. And I know it, some people work on Tuesday night, can't be here with all of that. You know, we, we, you know, but how serious was it for us to even try? Right now we're in a time of fasting. Want to know about, more about that? Text FASTING to 476-2911, and we'll give you the information on how to do that and be a part of it because you got struggles, and we need to do that. But, but you know, we don't even need think about think about what we've gone through in the last two years. The last two and a half year, COVID. Think about that. And there has not. Now, uh, again, some of you older guys can remember this. There, but there has not been a public outcry for God to help us. We have argued more over masks and social distancing and vaccines than we have spent time talking to God about please help us. It's like we spent more time talking amongst ourselves about and, and that's what we did, is we figured out how to handle this thing. I mean, this, this pandemic we figured out how to handle it with all those things and the vaccine so that, you know what? Oh, God, you can sit this one out. I know we needed you 100 years ago, that Spanish flu, man, that was bad. I, I know we needed you back, you know, when we had this going on. And, and there used to be, I, I meant presidents and governors and mayors and, and leaders, not just pastors, but leaders in our communities used to call people together for prayer in this country. But we're a culture, we... we we don't need God to answer prayer. We, we got to get it fixed. I mean, seven, what, seven and a half million people have died from COVID, I think is what it is. You know, dropping the butt. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of things worse than that. So it's kind of like that's acceptable. So, God, we don't really need you in this one. I think, you know, we're seems like we're kind of getting over the hump here, God. We don't even need God. We don't even need God in this. 
Oh, what was my next one? We, we're a culture that no longer needs God in wars and conflicts. And I, and <laughs> See, I, I told you a few weeks ago, you know, we, we pastors, we only work one day a week, right? So we just sit around and think the rest of the week, you know. So I think about all these things, like, and I'm thinking about all this kind of stuff. And thinking about how, how it, you know, we don't, we don't need God in wars. I mean, the president, you know, sends, sends our military into harm's way, and, and, you know, and we don't crank up the prayer times anymore <coughs> like we did years ago, decades ago. But it's been 75 years since we had a world war. So perhaps it's because, you know, it's, it's just smaller skirmishes, or maybe because of the technology, at least in this country, you know, we don't have to send as many people into harm's way as we used to because our technology is so much better. We feel more safe. We feel more secure. You know what today is, anybody? 9-11, how many years ago? Do you know there are a huge number of people in this room right now that do not remember 9-11? It is, it's something they've heard or they've seen on TV, but they do not remember actually experiencing 9-11. And so today, we look, we look at this, and we, we don't really need, we don't really need God to show up. We, you know, we, we figured it. We got bin Laden. We figured it out, right? I mean, we've got the war on terror. Nobody else has attacked us since then, so we got it figured out. We'll call you, God, when we need you. That kind of attitude, maybe. And what's the next one is, oh, we don't need God as a national voice. In the 1700s, I find it really interesting. Okay, here, here we go again. Some of this thinking that I do on those other four day, uh, five or six days of the week. I find it really interesting that just about 100 years, you know, after we really started populating this country, it's when we needed a revival. 1700s, God sent a, a bunch of men. But Whitfield, you heard of the Great Awakening in the 1700s? You know, or Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that is still being talked about today. Sinners in the hands of Wow, y'all, I, I figure one or two would say that. But you, you've heard that before, right? Said, angry God. Okay, here, let's back up just a little bit. Angry God. Oh, who wants to serve an angry God? You know, and we get all riled up and back up about, about concerning right and wrong. Let me ask you something. You parents, you love your kids? Some days, right? Yeah. You ever get angry? There's nothing wrong with getting angry. Let me tell you something. God wouldn't be much of a God. God wouldn't care about me very much if he watched all the crap that I go through and he didn't get angry about it every once in a while. So, so I'm good with God being angry at what's happening in my life. But we want to judge. Wait a minute. I thought that scripture said he was a loving God. Oh, man, and God just catches it every which way you go. I meant, you know, he's, you know, he's, how can you be a loving God and an all-knowing God if he allows all this trouble to happen on earth? But he better not be an angry God about all the trouble happening on earth. You know, and it's like, and God, he can't win for losing. So we had Whitfield. We had Jonathan Edwards. In the 1800s, we had D.L. Moody. Last century, in the 1900s, we had a man named David Wilkerson. And, and, and listen, I, I know a lot of people don't know David Wilkerson, but I believe God sent him as a prophet to the church of the United States. And if you don't believe me, I dare you, I dare you to go read his book, Set the Trumpet to Thy Mouth about the prophecy that God spoke to him about this country, where it was going. You know, I don't know what God hoped. I know what David Wilkerson hoped. He hoped that, he hoped that we would be another Nineveh. Y'all know when Jonah, you know, the Jonah the well story? And when he went to Nineveh, and he said, God is going to punish you. God is going to kill all y'all because y'all sinning, y'all doing all this kind of stuff. And they repented. Made Jonah mad. 
You know, he, he, kind of, he, he, he already knew what his ideals of justice and fairness were, and they weren't doing what they were supposed to, so God needed to kill them. Well, God just gave them a warning, and they listened, they, they repented, and God saved their city. I believe that's what God wanted to do through David Wilkerson, but we didn't listen. Most, most countries, most empires, most, most empires that have existed throughout history, check them, look at them, 200 is about the tops, 200 years. What happened in our 200 years? Well, David Wilkerson passed away just a few years after that. And after his, I'm not saying that was the only prophecy. I'm not saying that's the only thing. But during that, well, what have we done since then? Is we've turned our back on God. Instead of saying, wait a minute, can we get another 200 years of blessings out of you, God? No, we're, we're a culture that says, hey, we've got this thing figured out now. We've, we've existed longer than most empires have existed throughout history. You know, so we got it figured out. We don't need God. We, we're in a culture that no longer needs God or his church. You know, people outside, people who aren't Christians, they have plenty to do in their life. You know, you heard me say, I think it was the last week when I was talking about how uh, when I was a kid, there's, you know, we might be in one, one denominational church on Friday night and then a different one on Saturday night and then back to mine on Sunday and just, you know, <laughs> Some people say, well, that's because you ought to have anything to do, you know. Well, we kind of didn't. I mean, when I was a kid, what church I grew up in, everything was a sin. So about all we could do is go to church, you know. So, so, yeah, we didn't really have a whole lot we could do, you know. That's not the way it is today. People have got plenty to do. And they can do good work. I mean, the stuff that you and I are supposed to do, charity and those kinds, of, they can do that through a multitude of, 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 of people out there, of groups out there. And not just through the church. Uh, this past week, uh, I was checking out uh, at a store, and I was checking out, and they said, "Would you like to round up to the next dollar?" So, and and they told me what it was, and and um, you know, and I listened to that because I do not want to give my money to to anybody that I I don't agree with what they're standing for. And they told me, but for the life of me, I started thinking about this a couple of days ago. I said I can throw that in there, but for the life of me, I can't remember what I gave to. But it sure does make me feel good that I gave 17 cents to something, <laughs> you know. I mean, it makes me, you know, that's, that's where we are in our country. There are plenty of places to give and all that kind of stuff. They don't need the church. They don't need the church for something to do. They don't need the church for fellowship. They don't need the church for a, a giving opportunity, a missions, uh, you know, outreach or those kinds of things. They don't, need, they, don't need, they don't even need church to tell them what to do. My goodness, we've got free uh, financial counseling here. And I've got people that are struggling, but I don't, I don't need anybody to tell me how to spend my money. I mean, that's the attitude we get. Or, or we've got a, um, okay, I'm, okay, commercial time. Y'all ready? You know, well, I heard a long time ago. I can't even remember who said it, but um, preach your announcements. If you can't preach it, don't say it in the service. So I'm going to preach an announcement to you. Two weeks from yesterday, so in 13 days, we have a marriage conference going to be held right here in our building. And um, I think 20-something 20, 20, 20 of you couples have signed up to be here but a lot of others haven't. I said this a long time ago. We had our first marriage thing at 2911 in our little building. We squeezed as many chairs and tables and people in there as we could because it got full. And, and here's the thing is I think some people are kind of like, well, I'm not going to sign up for that. Everybody will think that I've got problems. You know, it's kind of like I'm not going to counsel and everybody will think I've got problems. No, we know you've got problems. We're watching your life. You know, we know. We see it. We, we see you failing. We see you falling apart. We see you fussing and arguing, yelling at each other, even when you don't think we do. And then your kids come to kids' church, and they have prayer requests for you guys, okay? <laughs> we know. So you're not hiding anything from anybody. 
But by signing up and saying, I'm a, I'm, we're going to this thing. You're investing in your ministry. But you know what? I don't need that. People say, I don't need anybody telling me how to live. Concerning a, like a, a, a marriage conference or a marriage small group. I don't need anybody telling me how to live my life. The last person that said that is no longer living with their spouse. You know, uh, there's a scripture in the book of James. It says, let he that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. We know we're struggling. But what is it? We don't need it anymore? I mean, we don't need this. Yes, we do. But you know, you know, you know, what, you know what I think part of the problem is? It's almost like we've dumbed our life down where maybe we can get by without it. You know, that, yeah, I'm struggling, but I don't need to come forward for prayer today because I'll get by another week. Okay, go ahead. Struggle one more week then. I mean, is that what you're going to do? We're going to preach three sermons on uh, struggles, and you're just going to get through. And then when it's over, you're just going to get through. Okay, is that what you're going to do? I mean, this is why I'm having this mid-ministry crisis. Is I don't know how to help you if you're not going to say, I want some help, Pastor. I mean, marriages, we've, we've said for years now. I mean, I, 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 can, I, I can give you examples, but confidentiality, I'm not going to do that. But I could give you examples of people that have come to us with problems in their marriage. But when they come to us, it's normally over. It's done. I had a pastor years ago. This was a guy that was like a mentor to me. And, and, uh, and I was sharing some of the struggles I was having as a young minister. And he said, he said you know, I, I had a guy come to me right after church one Sunday, attended my church every week, he and his wife. And he said, Pastor, we have to see you this afternoon. And he said, oh, what's happened? He said, oh, me and my wife, we, we, we're going to get divorced. I, we, I, if, if something doesn't change in a hurry, we're going we're to get divorced. And he said, well, did something happen this morning? Why you have to see me today? He said, oh, no, pastor, we've been fighting like cats and dogs for 20 years. And my mentor, pastor, he said, well, call this week and make an appointment with the secretary because I can't fix in one afternoon what y'all been killing for 20 years. But that's our attitude. Oh, we'll get through it. We'll fix it. I had someone else tell me just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to them, they were talking about their marriage, and, and they said, you know, we didn't, we didn't go see a counselor because, man, we, we never fought or anything like that. You know, we never raised our voice, all that. We went to the counselor, and we'd sit in him, you know, about five, ten minutes. Everything was just wonderful. Then he started asking questions. And he started, he started sweeping stuff out from under the rug that we had forgotten we'd put under there. And he said, we go regularly now. And this is a minister, someone that you have confidence in, some of you know. But he said, man, we didn't realize how much stuff was in our marriage. So I'm telling you, <laughs> I kind of got back to my commercial there. I'm telling you, if you're married, I don't, I don't care if you're having problems or not. You're having them. You just don't see them. You don't know them or you're, you're sweeping them under the rug. I'm telling you, if you're one of my church members, I want to see you two weeks from yesterday here. And you need to sign up this week because there's a cutoff coming sometime this week because we've got to order stuff and put things in order. There's a lot of stuff. They're, put, they're putting a lot of time in making this good for you, so you need to sign up. So let, let me, I, I'm a, and I've spent so much time going through this first little bit here. I'm going to have to hurry through the rest of my message. But let me, let, me, let me share something with you. This is from psychologists, okay? Have you ever heard of the four stages or the four levels of, of, uh, of, of learning and, and growth? Uh, next slide, if I, I hope. <laughs> there it is, of competence. Here, it's like the first stage, we don't know that we don't know. Oh, man, these people drive me crazy. You know, when the new hire at the company, right? They walk in, they know everything, and they just don't know that they don't know. You know, or somebody who, you know, not even working with you, but they walk up to tell you how you're doing it wrong. 
and they don't know that they don't know, right? Uh, and that's the most dangerous place to be. If you don't know that you don't know, then you're never going to learn. But the second one is we know that we don't know. So it's like, what, you know what? I don't know this. And so you start reaching out for some help. This is the place where maturity happens. If, you're not, if you don't realize there are things that you don't know, you're a very immature person. You know, in your marriage, if you don't realize that there are things you don't know about marriage, you're a very immature person. If you think you've got it all figured out in anything. So this is the place where maturity begins to happen and learning begins to happen. Then we know what we know. We start learning and figuring out. Think about, think about it this way, like tasks. You know, like you learn a task, and, and then you start learning, and you say, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good with this now. You know, and you're figuring it out. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're figuring it out until you get to this. We don't need to focus on what we know because it, now it's become second nature. You just do it without thinking. You got anything like that in your life that you do without thinking? Riding a bicycle, right? Can you see, you know, learning to ride a bicycle? And go, I mean, you get on a bicycle, you don't think about riding it anymore. You know, hopefully you don't, you know, right? You, you, you just do it. Now, I, I, kind of, I kind of began thinking, oh, man, are these, you know, these four or five days that I have through the week, you know, I've had a lot of thinking on these things. But I, had to think, I was thinking about this one, about, you know, about a guy, see, a guy who hires on at a factory, okay? And they, they bring him in, and everybody's running and doing stuff, and there's the supervisor over, he's running this big machine, and, and other people are feeding the machine with stuff and pulling, pulling things off the machine, keeping it running and everything. And he just walks in, you know, and they said, now, here's your job. You're going to start at the bottom, but here's your job. When, when they bring the box from the machine, you tape the box up. And say, man, I know how to do that, right? He doesn't know that he doesn't know. Because what he doesn't know is he doesn't know you got to tape the box in a certain way. Or, you, you know, or it won't hold. Or you tape it the wrong way. You get too much tape there and you block the holes that you're supposed to use to pick it up. or what, right? Okay, so then he realized, okay, I'm messing up. So somebody please show me how. So that's the second level, right? I, I need to know how. And so they show him and he said, okay, I'm getting a hang of this. Okay, this is going good now. You know, and he started working. But he's there for 30 years, you know. I mean, he becomes the best box taper there's ever been in the history of box taping. Now, you know, he knows how to tape boxes like you wouldn't imagine. He can do it with his eyes closed. He can do it with one arm tied behind his back. He can do it behind his back. I mean, he can he tape boxes, you know, ahead of, faster than anybody else. 30, 30 years later, you know, he finally retires at the bottom of the telephone pole, the same place he was when he started. You see, he got to that we don't need to focus anymore on what we know, but what we forget is there's still stuff that we don't know. You know, spiritually speaking, when it comes to God, and when it comes to knowing God, that next slide with that little point down there at the bottom for me, Kevin. When it comes to knowing God, we never fully leave the second level because he is so amazing and wonderful. We never fully leave that. No matter how much we learn about him and no matter how far we go down, there's never a time that anybody, I don't care who you are, theologian or whatever, I don't care how much, you know, how many sermons you've preached, how many small groups you've led, how many songs you've written. There's never a time that you don't need to open the Bible. I, I tell you what, I, I, there are scriptures I know that I've read hundreds of times. But I read it again, and it's like, wow, God just speaks something else that is there. There is still something. We never leave that second level. With God, there is always something that we don't know. If we're not careful, though, if we don't keep that, then we go all the way back to the top. We don't know what we don't know. And, you know, and I think that is one of our problems is we don't know what we don't know. You don't know what God is dreaming in his mind that he wants to do for you. Let me explain this to you if I can. Through In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to that church in Ephesus. And he said, let me tell you how I'm praying for you, okay? And, and this, I, w- I want to read this over you today. Will you accept that? You know, think about it like rain. You're beginning to fall. You know, you can put up your umbrella, you know, say, I keep that off of me. Or you can say, fill me up. 
Let me, let me have some. I want to I speak this over you as a prayer over you, okay? Because this is where I want you to get also, and maybe even beyond that. This is in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. This is where it begins. Paul says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritors. There, there is so much right there. There's so much right there that I, I, just, I just like to stop and preach every little point to you. I mean, look, that, that is all that is there of all he wants to give to us and that we're his glory. All that God owns in, in the whole universe, but what does he call it, his inheritance? Us, me. I'm his glorious inheritance. That's how he looks at me. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. That's awesome, right? The incredible greatness of God's power. But look how he ends that verse. The incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Who is the power for? God doesn't just have power, but he has his power for us. He has it for you. He has it to give you. So we're talking about giving us spiritual wisdom and insight and hope and power, all of these things. Oh, man, uh, the incredible greatness of God's power for us to believe in him. We only read half of this. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand of the heavenly realm. So if I pray and I pray through Jesus in Jesus' name, I'm praying to one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he just lean over and whisper and say, hey, 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 Dad, take care of that for me. You know, for, for my little brother down there. My sister's going through. That, that's, that's who he is. Raised Christ from the dead, now in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. What is it you're dealing with? What did you struggle with? Struggling with a boss? And I don't mean just your boss at work. A boss? You're struggling with somebody who is somebody who is trying to take authority, who's super authority over you, take something from you that doesn't belong to them. He Speaking of Jesus is far above any ruler or any authority or any power or any leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Why? For the benefit of me and you. We're the church. He has done all this so that you can benefit from it. So whatever, whatever you're dealing with, he has authority over that. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're struggling with, he has authority. It has already been put under his authority. And not just so he can kick back on his, on his throne and say, yep, look at me. But for your benefit, he has given all of these things to us. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Man, that place up there where I read a couple of times about he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Some of y'all need to highlight that one. Get yourself your smartphone out right now and say, I, I need to highlight that one. That's one the next time you start rehearsing all the crap going on in your life, you need to start rehearse, you need to rehearse that one instead. That he is far above any ruler or any authority or any power or any leader, anything else, not only in this world, but in the world that is to come. You see, here's 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 what I really believe is the problem, is we are so focused on the problem. I think that's the problem. I think the struggle being real is not the issue. The, the, the problem is we forget to focus on the one who is an authority over the struggle. 
and the problems that we have in our life. That, that's truly the problem. And I'll, I'm going to fly through these last slides real quick. I, I thought I'm going to save this and I'm going to fly through them real quick because I want you to hear this real quick. Here's, here's the reasons why we struggle. We struggle because we know, but we still don't do anything about it. But here's another reason we struggle. We struggle because we don't want God's help because we fear he will make us give up our freedom. We have this imagined autonomy, like I'm in charge, you know, and I, I don't want to listen to God. You know, I, I, I don't want to hear that because then I might have to do something different. Can, can I tell you something? That next slide for me, Kevin. Freedom isn't doing what we want without regard to anyone or anything else. That's not what freedom is. First song we sang this morning was about freedom. That doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. Don't worry about anything else. Are you married? You ain't got no freedom. You got kids? Mm-mm. And let me tell you, when you get grandkids, they don't get any better. You, you think that little girl or your daughter had you wrapped around her little, wait till you get a granddaughter, you know, and you'll be wrapped around both her little fingers. You don't, you don't have any freedom in this world. You got, you got a job? You ain't got any freedom. You got a car with payments? You don't have any freedom. You make some choices, but you don't get to make all the choices. Now, let me give you some scripture right here, okay? Here, let me give you some scripture right here. This is Acts chapter 14. In the past, God permitted all the nation to go their own ways all the nations to go their own ways. But he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Okay, so here's what God does, is he gives you the freedom to make those stupid decisions that you make, okay? And he's allowed these nations to do this. But even when he's doing that, even when he's allowed nations to totally turn their back on him, he still sends blessings to just remind you, hey, I'm here, I'm here. I know you haven't followed me. I know you turned your back on me, but I'm here. You know, I'm still blessing. I'm still blessing. But, you know, just how much longer can we expect God to, to just continue to, I mean, we've had 200 plus good years. How long can we expect God? I mean, just think about it. I mean, how many times, how many times can a toddler drop a coffee mug on top of your head while you're sleeping on the couch before you say, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. something's got to change here. You know, how long does God say, I, I just can't keep blessing you as you turn your back on me? We don't have freedom. Had a, had a friend this past week, not freedom like we think about, had a friend this past week, and he asked me about my sermon coming up Sunday. He attends, he actually is in ministry on the other side of town. And I told him, and, and so we got talking about the sermon just a little bit. And, and he made this quote, and I wrote it down, and I'm going to give him credit for it. Josh Smith said this. He said, when I don't need God, then I know I'm not with God. And he went on to explain what he meant. He said, when we were in mission work and we were living in India, we needed God. When we came back here and we started inviting people into homes so that we could share with them the God, because we didn't know these people, we need God. We needed God. He said, and when I don't need God, I realize I'm not with him anymore. You know, we, we've, we've said this a whole lot of different ways over the years, and maybe we don't say it enough, but give me that last, last little slide. Live a life so big you always need God. See, I think that's one of the reasons we don't need God. I think it's one of the reasons we struggle. I think that's one of the reasons for all of our problems is we're trying to live a life just, just to do. You know, yeah, I got, I got these problems that doctors tell me about, but I'm going to get by. We don't need God. 
yeah, me and my wife, we've been arguing a little bit, but we don't need God. Or I, I, I you know, I, I really think I, I'd probably do better if I just figure this out on my own and not put myself totally in God's hands and lose all my freedom, you know, and all that and all that and all that. But I dare you. To live a life so big, you have to have God every single minute of your day. Anybody who ever accomplished anything for God did exactly that. You look, you look back through the Bible, you see those examples. There was people who were believing God for amazing, awesome things. They were living up here so big in their faith that if God didn't show up, it was going to be a failure. They were going to face plant right there in their spirit. Live a life so big that you need God every single minute of your day. That's my call to you. If you want to quit struggling, quit dumbing your life down, start bringing it back up. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.